Last week we began a new series on Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, this letter to the Ephesians. And after tracing out sort of where we've been for the last kind of year and a half and how God has been speaking to us, uh, we jumped in here with this letter that kind of summarizes and draws in all the main themes of Paul's teaching in the New Testament. And this letter divides roughly into two parts. This is just to kind of help you remember it. So the first part, kind of the first three chapters deals mostly kind of with the gospel, um, with the good news, and with the privileges of, of what come with uh, coming to know Jesus and meet him in the power of the Spirit and place our faith in him. And then the second part, which is the last three chapters, chapters four to six, have to do with kind of responsibilities now that we bear, given the fact that we know Jesus and Jesus has, in his grace, drawn us into his life and into the family of the living God. Um, we understood kind of that we just took the intro last week. We learned who it was from, who it was to, and then just sort of a basic greeting. It was from Paul, right? From the apostle, the, that apostle Paul, the, the Paul who was converted on the road to Damascus, um, the one whom God struck blind physically so that he might open the eyes of his heart so that he could know the risen Christ. Uh, it's written to the saints who are in Ephesus, those who are set apart. It's written by Paul, one who's set apart for a particular work, to the church, to the saints in Ephesus who are set apart. But remember, it was a cyclical letter, which means that the church would get it and kind of fill in the name of their own congregation. So it's really from Paul, from that apostle Paul to the saints who are in Newland, to to you and I who were faithful, not on our own, but in Christ Jesus. And he wants us to know grace and peace. That's how he greets us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, grace, which means to be drawn into the very life of God. Peace, which is not just not fighting kind of peace, but like complete and total peace with God. Um, and with all of your relationships until this peace spreads and spreads and, until it's comprehensive, until it includes everything and everyone in all of society. Doesn't that sound nice right now, given the time we live in? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's wanting to give us some big things here. And this morning we jump in with uh, verses 3 to 10 of chapter 1. And so I invite you to listen carefully and to listen well, for this too is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. So he, Paul, Paul's terrible about just like putting everything he can possibly think of in one sentence. So there's everything, right? But, but even in, as we hear everything, um, we can also pick up on this theme of blessing. It mentions blessing four times. Um, Paul wants to talk to us about grace, about peace. Grace to you and peace from God. Our, he wants to talk to us about blessing. Grace and peace and bless. These are all good things, aren't they? Um, he wants us to know about the gospel. That's how he's introducing it as a way of blessing. It reminds me actually of a book written by um, my pastor growing up. And uh, it's called The Blessing Life. He, he wrote it a few years ago. And he's also, in a similar way to Paul, he's, he's summarizing, he's, he's giving us a way that we can sort of enter into the Christian life and the life of God in a way that doesn't seem over, as overwhelming as Paul's run-on sentences. And so he divides this into kind of three areas. So, so in, uh, in Garrett's book, he says, uh, God blesses us. And then we bless God in return. And then God invites us and, and calls us to extend this blessing from God to the world. So that God ends up blessing in some part uh, through us. Now, this might sound a little bit like um, that sort of, you know, Abrahamic kind of phrase. Uh, we're blessed to be a blessing, right? God calls Abraham and he blesses him. He says he's going to make um, of his family a great nation. And through his family, all the world will be blessed. So he blesses Abraham so that the whole world might be blessed. That's sort of the first and last parts of that three-fold uh, scheme of God blesses us. God blesses Abraham. We bless others. God's going to bless the world through his family. But the piece that we often miss, the piece that I often miss, is the blessing God. I thank God a lot, but rarely do I bless God, which is um, an interesting thing, I think. So we'll, we'll trace this out as we move forward. But uh, this, this passage is going to begin with that word, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with blessing. Paul wants to begin this letter to us, to you, with blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, eulagios is the Greek word, and it is only used in reference to God. It's a special kind of word, a special blessing word that we use, and don't use it about anything else. Um, you know, sometimes... They say in the South, they'll say, bless your heart, but you don't really mean bless your heart, right? So it's kind of a special word. You say, but this is a different kind of blessing here. This is like serious blessing. This is like God blessing. This is what human beings do as those who have the capacity and were created to gather up all the inarticulate praise and blessing of creation and offer it back to God in intelligible speech. It's this kind of blessing. Uh, it reminds me, too, of this prayer that my Hebrew professor would pray before every single Hebrew class. And if you don't think you need prayer, then try taking Hebrew. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I need way more. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Malaka Alam. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Malaka Alam. Interestingly, when I went to Malawi a couple of years ago, I met and made a friend, um, Maxwell Banda, who is uh, a young man in his late 20s. He's a Hebrew scholar. He teaches at JMTI Seminary in Nkoma, Malawi. And at one point in our stay, he was asked to pray for us. And this Hebrew scholar uh, said, as he began, 
Baruch Atad, Anai Eloheinu, Malaka Alam. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, creator of the universe. The prayer begins with a blessing. We bless God. Baruch Atad, Anai Eloheinu, Malaka Alam. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, creator of the universe. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins with blessing. Hebrew prayers begin with blessing. It doesn't, we begin with blessing. It doesn't matter if we're speaking in English or in Hebrew or in Cheche or whether we're praying in Newland or in Ephesus or in Pittsburgh or in Encoma, Malawi. We, we have the capacity to bless God. We think of God blessing us and it's wonderful, but we can bless. Isn't that amazing? God's made us in such a way that we, you can be a blessing. You can actually bless the living God, the creator of the universe. But why? Why does Paul begin like this? The next part of the clause reveals it to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, I think about the things I thank God for the things that I understand to be a blessing in my own life. I often thank God for the day that he's given me. I thank God for my family. I thank God for my children. I thank God for the roof over my head, that I have a shelter, a place to live. I think, how often do we say the blessing over our food? We give God thanks for just daily provision and the food that we have to eat. I was in conversation with a, a gentleman this week who was um, conveying to me through his business, all the work that he had lined up to do. And he was just incredibly thankful for this. And he said to me, the Lord has blessed me. You ever said that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we talk about this all the time, but. And it's good. I, I want to make a distinction now. It is good for me to thank God for my family, to thank God for my house, to thank God for the day that he's made, to thank God for my food. It's good to thank God for the work that's lined up and the business that we have to do. That's not what Paul's talking about here. These are the things I most frequently thank God for and recognize as blessings, the ways that God has blessed me. That's not what he's talking about here. I'm not saying we don't give thanks for those blessings or that they're not incredibly important and significant. Of course they are. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Um, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the world? No, in the heavenly places. I'm thanking God for the day, for my physical house, for my actual family, for the food that I'm putting in my... I'm thanking God for these earthly things, the, the work that I have lined up to do, these worldly things. But Paul's blessing God because he's acknowledging that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, uh, this is significant. Uh, I, I was reading this week from um, John Chrysostom, 4th century preacher called... Nickname was the was Golden Mouth or Golden Tongue because he was so eloquent. He was a, a wonderful speaker and preacher and proclaimer of the gospel. And he makes a big deal about this. These are not earthly, physical blessings that we're giving God thanks for. Those though they do come from God. Every good thing comes down from the Father of Lights, right? Says the Scriptures. But he's wanting to, the way he kind of um, separates these things out, he talks about earthly blessings in terms of Israel. 
He says, if you go back and if you look at uh, what God has promised to Israel, look at Abraham. He promises what? A family. He promises him what? He promises him um, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey and earthly reality. He promises him a, a place in the world so that Israel becomes a great nation uh, that points uh, to the goodness of God and lives by the law and the way of God in the world and actually teaches it to those who don't know it. Uh, worldly kinds of things, physical kinds of things. He says when the fulfillment of all those promises comes among us in Jesus, Jesus begins to speak to us, not so much about earthly things, but about spiritual realities, about heavenly realities. We sang a little bit, and I wasn't even connecting this until we were seeing it earlier, some of the ways that um, it was in one of the, one of the verses or something, but it, it was picking up on the Beatitudes. Right? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes means the blessings, right? So Jesus says things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the earth. Well, clearly not, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says things like, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God who is a spirit. Um, he says things like, uh, blessed are... Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says things like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, keep my word, and I will come to you. And I, my father, will live in you. God will live in you. These are spiritual things that Jesus is speaking to us about. And Paul says that in Christ, God has given us everything. He hasn't held anything back. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours in Christ Jesus. Which makes us say, well, what are they? Right? I mean, Jesus has spoken to us of some of them. This is not an exhaustive list. But Paul does begin to articulate some of what this means in the rest of that long run-on sentence. Interested? Here they are. Here are the things that Paul seems um, to think warrant mention. First, God has chosen us, chosen you before the foundation of the world. And I hope if you let that settle for just a minute and like and really hear it, that God has chosen you. It feels good to be chosen, doesn't it? I mean, I remember PE class in elementary school, right? Teacher picks two captains, and then the captains pick a team. And is everyone not wanting to hear their name called? Do you not want to be chosen? And when you were, didn't it feel great? And this doesn't go away, actually. Like, I remember in college, uh, you know, out on the court wanting to be chosen. And then my selfishness comes up, and I want to be chosen first, right? And then if I'm not, then I'm like, well, I'm going to show you. Um uh, feels good to be chosen. It feels good to raise your hand in class and for the teacher to call your name. Not everyone else who's just, you know, waving their hands, but chose you. Wants to hear from you. Wants to hear what you have to say. God has chosen you. And it wasn't just an accidental thing or an arbitrary thing before the foundations of the world. It's a, it's a spiritual reality. It's before the physical thing was here. God chose you. God looked across the ages and saw you in all of your particularity, in all of your uniqueness, in all of what makes you special, in all of your idiosyncrasies, 
even in all of the ways that he knew you would choose against him and go another way and just get yourself in trouble and hurt yourself and other. But God chose you and still does. And this is the foundation of all the other blessings, isn't it? That God has chosen you. Next piece, um, in love, he predestined us for adoption in Jesus Christ. Why did he choose you? He chose you because he wants for you to be a part of his family. Chosen all your uniqueness, but he wants you to be a part of his family. Uh, He's adopted you. This kind of touches home in our congregation in sort of an interesting and neat way, I think. And there, there are several who have been foster parents and, and uh, that sort of thing, but I just remembered two in particular. Uh, some of you who have been around for more than three or four years will remember uh, Ryan and Laura Hunt, who were about my age, and uh, Ryan worked at Wells Fargo right over there, and Laura was at Williams Academy as a teacher before they moved away, but they met Zay and Love Zay and made room in their family for Zay and adopted her 16. They made room for her in their family. Think of um, uh, uh, presently, uh, Roy and Lisa Isley, who three years ago saw Corbin. Corbin, who is, I guess, five, but is, you know, about this tall. <laughs> the one my girls refer to as Big Corbin. Uh, they adopted him, gave him a place in their family. They're raising him. Uh, they weren't expected to do it. You couldn't expect someone to do this. This isn't like an ought to. You don't adopt someone because it has to happen. It, it's purely grace. God has, in love, predestined you for adoption, to be drawn into his family. But he's chosen you so that you might be with him. And with all those who constitute his family. And then it says that we have received uh, redemption. As Paul is articulating these spiritual blessings, you've received redemption through his blood, through Christ's blood, which means that you have you've been adopted, you have been bought with a price. It cost something. It wasn't free. It wasn't just groceries or clothes. No, it it cost something. To be redeemed means to be bought back through his blood. uh, In the ancient world, in the scriptures, blood is understood as to to be the life of a person, which kind of makes intuitive sense. If if all your life runs out of you, if all the blood runs out, you're you're dead, right? Um, So so the ancient world understood your blood to to be your actual life. You've You've been redeemed. You've been bought back through the blood of Christ, through his life. That was the cost. That's how much God wanted you to be a part of his family. That's what he was willing to sacrifice for you to be a part of his family. That's how much Jesus was willing to give so that you might be with him in his family. He chose you. And he's willing to pay everything for it. You've been redeemed. Along with that redemption being bought back comes the forgiveness of our trespasses. You know, the typical order of our worship, we come and we sing praise, the opening, we bless God. And very quickly encountering God's holiness, we realize our own unworthiness and sinfulness, uh, that we are prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. And so we ask 
forgiveness. We confess our sins and he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess to him. So part of what Jesus has done for us and buying us and drawing us into his family and choosing us is that he is also able to forgive. Uh, the scriptures talk about this in different ways. Even that traditional refrain I just cited, you can hear some of the echoes. Um, so we can think, of, just think of baptism, uh, being washed clean. Sin makes us unclean. Um, baptism, forgiveness of our trespasses makes us clean. That's pictured in uh, a changing of garments, ones that were stained uh, like crimson, but now are, are white as snow. Uh, that's, that's pictured for us uh, in that we no longer carry this heart of stone, this hard-heartedness, but we're given in the spirit a heart of, of flesh, meaning one that's alive and malleable and tender. Um, we see this in the scapegoat on, on the Day of Atonement as one is sacrificed in the blood, the life of the lamb is what cleanses and purifies the temple. And then the scapegoat, the sins of the people were placed upon him and he's sent way out into the wilderness so you can't even see him anymore. As far as the east is from the west, so far have your sins been removed from you. The scriptures uh, tell us that, that God doesn't even remember them anymore. That he's forgetful about them. That he chooses not to remember your sin. We, we have received the forgiveness of our trespasses, which is part of our being bought back through the blood of Christ, which is part of our being made part of his family, which is because God has chosen us from before the foundations of the world. And finally, the last, the last piece that Paul mentions is that uh, in this list and litany of spiritual blessing, is that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Um, a lot of folks are joking about 2020 this year. I mean, what do you, you got a joke or I don't know what you do, right? Um, somebody told me last week, if, some, if somebody ever tells you your, your sermon was very 2020 this morning, don't take that as a compliment. It means it was just a disaster. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was Dave. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, we're in a pandemic. We're facing an election year and all the craziness of that. There's, there seems to be rippling beneath the surface um, an element of, of societal disruption and, and change. And we seem to be at this um, moment when there, there's just a lot of chaos, uncertainty, um, there's an earthquake this morning, for goodness sakes. I mean, it, it, the, the, the list just goes on and on. Um, there's been murder hornets. I mean, really? 2020. But one of the spiritual blessings that we bear is, and that we've been given is that the mystery of God's will has been revealed to us. And because of that, we know that we don't have to be afraid you don't have to be afraid. Yes, we know that in this world there is tribulation. In this world there is suffering. We just got done talking about the Sumerian passage. It was unwelcome, uncomfortable, and all those things. But we also know that it ends in Jerusalem, that it ends in victory. Just a, a sort of a cheesy example of this. I remember after a Greek test, an exam, 
I did great on the midterm and the final I made a C plus. I never made a C plus in my life. I was devastated. I went to my teacher and said, I'm I'm just embarrassed. I don't know what to do here. And he didn't tell me he didn't say a thing about Greek. He said to me, um, last time I checked, Christ will return and draw us into heaven. We'll spend eternity with him. I was like, oh, okay. Okay, thanks for some perspective. And it's a spiritual blessing, isn't it? Right? So we're in the midst of a difficult time, but the mystery of God's will has been revealed to us that all things will be united in Christ. That it will one day be on earth as it is in heaven because Jesus will bring all these things together. And in that you can take comfort. In that you can take succor. In that you can rejoice. That is a blessing. And because of that, we come and bless God. In a minute, I'm going to send you out to extend that blessing to others. This is a word about blessing, isn't it? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us, who's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.